Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that resonated with us. Then I discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer, go deep into their childhood, lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then we get a little spooky and we'll learn something about cryptids and the supernatural. Before we start, just another reminder, our Patreon is live. There are four tiers from 5 to $50. And how many conspiracy crypt episodes have we done so far? Six. Six. So yeah, you have a backlog of things to listen to if you're into conspiracy theories and learning what Brian and I think about it. And more in line with that, <laughs> how much certain ones make me very angry. Yeah, we got, what is that? Like That's three and a half hours of content. Yeah, it's already there. three and a half extra hours of content. So if you absolutely love us, you should listen to us on Patreon too. And you can buy, you can support us by going to patreon.com when killers get caught. Or you can buy Birch at our website at whenkillersgetcaught.com. And yes. this week in true crime, I want to talk about the Murdaws. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Okay, it's 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 popping up in my circle because I got friends down in South <clears throat> Carolina. Everybody asks me on every live stream. So for those of you who might not know or might be abroad, there is a mystery unraveling in Hampton County, South Carolina. So the Murdars are this wealthy, established family known for their presence in the legal, like lawyer community. And it wasn't even until 2019 that anybody really knew anything about them. They were just this quiet, rich family. So. In 2015, there's a young gay man named Stephen Smith who is found in the middle of a county road. It's ruled a hit and run, but the coroner argues that this is not a hit and run. This seems like a homicide. Hmm. Mm, That's one of the ones tied to this family. According to several people who were interviewed, the victim, who was 19, could have been killed by Buster Murdaugh. That would be currently deceased Buster, who is the son of Elder Murdaugh. He's the older of two sons, and his family name was mentioned nine different times in the investigative report on Stephen Smith's. Uh-huh. See? You getting interested. <laughs> I see you, Brian. So Richard Alec Murdaugh, attorney, resigned four days ago. Five days ago? And he was accused of siphoning millions of dollars from the law firm that was started by his great-grandfather. On Saturday of that same week, he called 911 to report that he had been shot in the head while he was changing a tire on the side of the road. The head wound ended up being superficial, and he was airlifted to the hospital. He's been released, and now he's saying that he's going to rehab. This is... It's just madness. But okay. February 26, 2018, Gloria Satterfield died in a trip and fall accident in Hampton County. And court documents named Richard as the only defendant in the case. His insurance paid the 57-year-old's family $500,000 for personal liability in a wrongful death suit. February 24th, 2019, Mallory Beach goes missing after a boat crash in which Paul Murdaugh was driving. A week later, her body was found. April 18th, 2019, Paul Murdaugh was charged with boating under the influence. He was uh, piloting, captaining this boat three times the legal limit. The boat was owned by his father, and it was, um, the name of the boat was 
Bad Boys. Oh my god! <laughs> and it currently resides in Edisto, South Carolina. Such fucking cringe. On June seventh this year, Alec Murdaugh, Richard Alec Murdaugh, discovers the body of his wife Maggie, fifty-two, and his son Paul, twenty-two, at the family's seventeen-hundred-acre hunting lodge in Colton County. Three days before then, there had been a court-ordered mediation in the wrongful death lawsuit against Paul. And that had been canceled and the case was going to a real trial. No hearing. We're going straight to trial. June 8th, Colton County officials released a statement. At this time, there's no danger to the public. And the family offered $100,000 information for their, like, reward for their deaths. Then June 23rd this year, authorities shared that based on the information gathered in the murder investigation... They said it looked they were looking into the 2015 death of Stephen Smith in Hampton County. Oh my god. And then a couple days ago on Nancy Grace, a reporter named Matt Harris said that before her death, his wife, Maggie Murdaugh, had hired a forensic accountant. There is literally now a podcast just called The Murdaugh Family Murders. <laughs> People who are following this yeah people want my opinion on it but i'm like this is a big thing that's happening it's happening right now in the midst of like yeah can you imagine just being alive from these big things oh my god it's crazy well we were (laughs) but we were little i know you know what i mean we were just off camera we were talking about the uh monica Lewinsky and bill clinton stuff i remember that but i was little (laughs) you know even same thing Interestingly enough, we're recording today on September 11th. Oh. I was in, it was my first week of high school when September 11th happened. Yeah, that was my my last year of middle school. Your last year of middle school. So yeah, yeah. this is so weird. Like, these are all things that, they happened when we were younger, but I'm like, this Murdoch case, it's not done yet. This no, is going to get blown wide just, open, and I'm very interested. It seems so wild. Because uh, here's my thing. there's There can't be a coincidence that this family is tied to so much stuff. My my bet is on Richard Alec. Mm. I think he's the center of the problem here, and I think he got everybody else hurt in his family. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like his sons were, you know, typical affluenza teens, did wrong stuff, and then he got he, rid of it with yeah, money. He covered it up. Yeah, yep, he covered it up. I mean, some people are saying, you know, maybe the families of some of those people who were killed conspired against him. That seems a little far fetched to me. Though it would be incredible if that was really what it was. but I, I don't think it's that far-fetched. I can see that happening. You could see, like, okay, rich family in this in our town kills someone in your family or in uh, extended family. Oh, don't say my family because my family's coming. <laughs> my... You think your family's going to hire someone to try and kill them? No, they're going to come hunt them themselves. Oh, wow. But... I need you on my team then, fam, because I don't have a whole lot of family. So, I, I need somebody to, to hunt I, if I get harmed. I got you. But yeah, I had to put it all in like a little chronological order in my notes because yeah. I was like, this is becoming a lot of information now. Is that, you know, no, that's crazy. And I remember um, his, his, ex, well, his shooting in the head. Someone shot him in the head. Yes. And then I remember someone saying that it seemed like it was staged. Or right. Like, Right, because like they, we were talking about that on the live stream the other day, and yeah. I think you heard us talking about that. Yeah. it Honestly, because it only grazed his head, yeah, it does kind of sound like maybe. But, I mean, they would have tested his hands for gunpowder. 
Yeah, maybe he hired someone to do it. Right, maybe. I mean, he does have the money to do it. But I'm interested in the fact that, like, he gets out of the hospital and immediately... I'm going to rehab. I'm going to rehab. Also, my company, my family business is filing a, a lawsuit saying that I siphoned millions upon millions of dollars from our business. <sighs> he stole from himself. There's so much going on. Like, how do you even do that? But okay. And I just feel, you know, obviously I feel bad for the extended family. Like, Jesus, there's only one living son left. Mm, yeah. He's got to feel so bad. His older brother and his mom died a couple months ago. And everything's looking like it's pointing to his father as the reason why it happened or the one that did it. That's just, I've been watching on uh, Discovery Plus mm. this um, show called Living with Evil or like Evil Lives Here. I can't remember the exact that words. That sounds familiar, yeah. But it's about people who were close to people who did horrible things. Oh. Um, it's, 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 my empathy is overflowing here. I feel so bad for those people. Like, or somebody being like, my brother did this horrible stuff and I never realized I thought he was always joking. Right, yeah. And he was telling me, like, one day he came in and was like, I killed somebody. And she was like, whatever, shut up. And then she finds out 10 years later that he's implicated in another murder. And the police are like, has your brother ever done anything? And finally she's like, well, yeah, one time, like, 10 years ago, he told me he murdered a girl when we lived here. And they go look into it. And there's, like, bodies in the backyard. Like, oh, Oh, God, this feels so awful. And you feel awful for everybody connected to it. It's one of the reasons why when I try and do my stories on TikTok, I try to, like, give, like, an after. Or even when I do them here, I try and explain, like, what happened after this happened. Yeah. How did this affect these other people? What happened? Like, what went on with their lives? But, I mean, not surprisingly, it's sometimes really hard to find information about those people. They change their names. Mm, They go off the radar. They don't want to be contacted by anybody in the true crime community. And you know what? I'll give you your piece. Yeah, they don't want that dredged up at all yeah and i understand that interestingly enough the woman who was uh dating uh, what's his name i don't like him ted bundy um she has she collects all of the books about her Mm -hmm. and him she just wants to know what people think about it oh she's like remarried (laughs) to a whole nother person she's just like this was a weird time in my life and i want to know what people think about me yeah she just wants to know and i think that's so intriguing because i feel like if i was in her shoes that i was dating someone who killed like 36 women confirmed i would just be like i give up on dating also i don't want to hear his name ever again i don't want to hear my name and his name in the same yeah but she finds the the fervor interesting huh Um, i got yelled at on youtube for uh writing about uh doing a video about the Hart family murders and i was like the mom of three of the kids, the birth mom of three of the kids asked me to cover it. She's like, you're over here faking crying. I was like, yeah, it's the first video that I ever recorded where I teared up. Mm-hmm. And specifically at the part where I said that two of the children's bodies have never been found. I was like, I only did it because she asked me to. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have covered it because it's it's still a traumatic case to think about. I don't understand why people adopt children and then do horrible things. do horrible things to them. And, like, we made fun of that lady who, like, adopted that kid on YouTube and then gave him back to Asia. But, like, you know what? Maybe that's the better thing. If you realize you can't do the job, pass that child back to the foster care system. Yeah, unfortunately. It sucks, but at least the kid will be alive. This is true. But 
we got way off topic. Sorry. It's okay. Tell me about your true crime case of the week that you found that happened recently. Okay. Well, a warning goes out to everybody in Manhattan. Uh, oh, women. Oh, Wait, Manhattan. another? Um, were we just talking about a serial killer in Georgia? We were, but this isn't a serial killer. Okay. This is a, I guess you would call him a serial roper. Oh, no. Yeah, so. Those are common. A, a man riding on a moped is going around and groping women in Manhattan, uh, lower Manhattan. One of his victims was actually an 11 year old girl. Oh no. Oh yeah. That's atrocious. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been happening. It says at least nine victims, Mm. um, since August 2nd. Oh wow! So only I'm like a month and a half. Yeah. Um. So what he does is he, I guess he he rides around. He circles his victim like a stupid creepy shark. Ew. A okay. Cre- a creepy pervert shark and creepy pervert shark. Got you. And then he, you know, he's on his moped circling. Then he goes in and he just grabs a breast or whatever he can and he speeds off. Um, there are pictures of this man. Ooh, on, there's actually a video of him too. Um, you can't see his face because he's wearing like you know a mask and a hood. But he he rides a red and black moped, and there he is. Th- there he is. All you see is his eyes. Well, yeah, criminals are using the mask mandate to their advantage. <laughs> and there's less people on the street than there would have be used to, like there used to be. This is true. So there's probably much less traffic in New York because a lot of people are still working from home. So you have less witnesses, and it's easier for you to get away. Think about it. You've been in New York. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's near impossible for even a green light for you to cross. To go, the, yeah, to go. <laughs> so, like normal Times Square two years ago, time you know around those areas are rough. But now it's very empty. I've seen videos of people walking around New York. It's a lot emptier than it was. I would love that. I, I was there busy. one time for Christmas. Hated it. Never going back around Christmas. Too many people. I hate busyness. But um, so yeah, his first his first attack was on August second. Mm-hmm. It was a thirty four year old woman. Um, it's just freaking weird. And then his latest attack was uh, September seventh. Makes you think of the butt slasher of Virginia. Oh my god. It's just weird. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And Crime Stoppers, uh, the NYPD is uh, the Crime Stoppers are offering a $3,500 reward um, for any tips leading to his capture. Crime Stoppers is efficient. Oh, yeah, definitely. Earlier this year, this uh, Hispanic lady was just walking and somebody like walked up and grabbed one of her kids. She ran over and she yanked, like she pulled her child out of the window of the car. Hmm. Like a badass. Yeah. Um, and then Crime Stoppers like posted the video of that happening. And like within like hours, they had one of the guys in the car. Nice. And they were like, who are you there with? And he was like, I was there with my dad and somebody else was in the car who didn't know they were going to do it. And that person just drove away. And I was like, listen, mm-hmm. gotta love when the community comes together. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So if somebody knows who he is, they're going to find out. Yeah, I mean, 
His youngest was the eleven year old. Mm, but, poor baby. Um, there was an, an, a fifteen year old girl as well that got grew up. So I, I don't know if he's targeting younger women, but it's why these seem like uh, opportunity attacks. Yeah, yeah. He sees somebody he likes, and he's just like. Well, it's the issue that we have in the states where they're like, "She's tall, has breasts, obviously woman," and I'm like, "No, that's not how that works <laughs> at all." I was like five eight and ten years old. I've been the same height since I was like ten. Just because I'm a tall doesn't mean I'm a grown up. Yeah, Jeez. No. Don't assume my age. Listen. Uh, there's always those like situations where you know people are like well you know what if she told you she was 18 i'm like maybe you should talk to somebody before you like engage with them in that way yeah like have a conversation who knows but i would never take anyone who i felt looked a little young at face value let me see that id yep yep let me card you real quick make sure that's real i'm gonna card you before we can go on a date (laughs) that was definitely interesting yeah Uh, awful terrible um just Keep an eye out, Manhattan. Uh, big cities have a lot of weirdos. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of horror stories of late night buses from Philadelphia. People I, just get on there and do weird stuff. I imagine. I can imagine. So, yeah. Well, this week's episode is about... We're going to Europe. Again. But not hungry. Actually, going to Italy. Oh, okay. To discuss uh, a early Italian serial killer who is a woman. Ooh, there you go. She's known as the soap maker of Correggio, and she murdered seven women in the city of Correggio, Reggio Emilia, and turned their bodies into soap and tea cakes. Yeah, I kind of figured that's where this was going. <laughs> yes, it's an inter- it's actually a really perplexing case of a woman who is very mentally ill. Um obsessed with witchcraft and folk magic and human sacrifice and superstition oh the occult you gotta love it a little little crisscross with what you're usually talking about yeah let's get it so her name is leonarda chinchuli and she was born in mantella avellino in south italy on april 8th 1894 her parents well okay i know i only said one line but her mom was Amelia Dinolfi, and she was considered to be one of the most beautiful women in Montella. She was young. She was near the age when women get married. She had a great reputation, and her parents were receiving all these dowry requests. She was set to be, like, the ideal 1894 woman of Italy. Mm. Leonardo's father, Mariano, Mariano, was not a good man. He was poor, and so was his family. He was older, mean, and transient. They only met at all because of her bad fortune, honestly. Mariano saw her in a crowd and developed a very unhealthy obsession with her. He began following her around Montella and he would watch her as she enjoyed her high-class life and happiness, and he actually really hated her. He decided he was going to take her down a peg and ruin her and make her just like him. A man that nobody wanted. Oh my god, this is so terrible. So one night, Amelia had gone on a chaperone dinner with a man who wanted to marry her. And it was pretty custom at the time that one of the family, like half of the family was there. So mm-hmm. Amelia's family wasn't there. The Her suitor's family was there watching their date. Okay. And 
the the dinner wasn't that far from her house, so she kind of waved the man and his family off and walked home alone. Mariano grabbed her and dragged her into a field. At first, she thought she was being robbed, and so she explained to him, like, I don't have a wallet, I don't have a purse. She was very young and naive, and she had no idea about sex other than this is a people this is a thing people do after weddings mm. she wasn't pro- she probably wasn't entirely sure what was happening to her other than just she was in pain she was assaulted she like i said she understood what happened to her she left the field and walked home in pain uh she was definitely ashamed because she was grow she grew up very catholic mm. she cleaned herself off before her family could see her you know, throughout her clothes because it was covered in mud and blood. And she continued talking to new men. She didn't want to let her mom know. Right. She went to town events and Mariano watched from the sidelines and he was like, did it work? He wanted to see if she was going to call the police. And he knew that he had made some effect on her because whenever she would be walking in town and see him. Her face would turn white and she would just immediately walk away. Wait, so she saw his face. She knew who it was. She knew it was. Wow. You're just out there brazen, boy. Okay. It wasn't until she began to show that things changed. Her mother noticed it first and her parents confronted her and were like, which of these boys that you've been courting got you pregnant? And she was like, no, no, it's not like that. And they threatened to go house to house to all of the guys that she had been talking to and grill all of them. And finally, she told her parents that she had been raped by an older man in town on her way home from a date and that his name was Mariano. Her parents knew immediately who this guy was and they were pretty upset. But the next night they brought him to their house to speak with him. And it was, how are you going to make this right? Her parents are like, you have to marry him. No. He, of course, accepted because he's like, bet my ticket to the big times. They rush the ceremony. And this totally breaks Amelia's heart Mm -hmm. and dream of having a wedding and all these things she thought she was going to have. The two hadn't even spoken since the night that they, they saw it happen. And she didn't talk to him during the wedding either. And then her parents quietly pushed her out of their house into a crappy home in the poorest part of town. It was much less than she was used to and even less than Mariano had growing up. So it was a major culture shock. The place had no furniture. Bathroom was an outhouse that they shared with other people on the block. Mariano didn't even have a job. Wait, then why make him marry her? Why make her marry him? Because being a woman... Without a husband who had a baby, I don't, you're an outcast. I don't care. They did. Oh my god! And then, and then you make it, her move in with him in his crappy house. You could have just made his ass move in into your guest house or something like that. I know your ass is. Oh, he was, but they were rich, and he was a bum. Can't have the bum. Okay, fine. Here, here's here's what I'm thinking. Ruining the Chinchuli name. Keep him at his house, and they stay at their house, but they're still married. Sorry, the Denolfi name. Forgot. Amelia was Denolfi. Just just keep them separately living together, and then you're good to go. Listen, at that point, I wouldn't have even... like My, my thought process would have been, Amelia's really ill right now. Mm-hmm. She would have had that baby in, sil- in private. Mm-hmm. Nobody would know. And then I would very quietly, in the middle of the night, as her mother, 
take that baby to an orphanage. She would recover. And then we would go back to accepting them dowries. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying of the time, because yeah, that's what they of, were doing it, of the time. Of you the know? time, yes. That's what, at least, yeah, I guess that's what they should have done. Whatever. But, of course, you come across the next part. Obviously, Amelia had no desire to have sex with her rapist. And so he continued to rape her. And he would beat her when the house wasn't clean enough because he thought she was being defiant because she didn't like him. He didn't realize that literally this like 19 year old girl was raised in a household where she never cleaned anything in her entire life. She had servants, dummy. Yeah, you ruined her life, you jackass. I hate He did exactly I, what he set out to do. He ruined her life. Hate this from the jump. Well, the neighbors saw. This is like one of the wealthy elite kind of, you know, getting their comeuppance. So high society turned their backs on her. Poor people were like, "Mm, we don't really want to listen to the the rich girl complain about her husband beating her. Her mom, like she would sometimes go see, talk to her mom. Her mom listened to her and was just like, I really can't help you, Amelia. Why not? And the worst part is that they kept saying the same thing. You gave up your purity to the wrong man. I'm like, gave it up. I didn't do nothing. So I explained all that to explain you that this is the world that Leonardo was born into April 18th, 1894. Okay. Mariano wasn't even there. He was off drinking. Amelia was all alone. She ended up walking out into the street and like finally saw someone saw how pitiful she was and sent a midwife to her. The labor was long and hard, and she almost she, she barely registered that she even had a child the first few days. It's pretty traumatic for her. She kind of laid in the house with the baby attached to her, and she was just like, hmm, he really did ruin my life. Now, uh, Mariano and Amelia and the baby have to move a lot over the next couple of years, mainly because of non-payment of rent. Mariano didn't seem to care. He'd find another slum to move into, set up shop, go drinking. Amelia and Leonardo only really survived because of the kindness of the church. The local Catholic church would reach out to get Amelia supplies or food, and she found that to be rather shameful, but she needed the help. She didn't really have a lot of power as a parent. Or in her relationship. Mm. And I think you know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Based on some of our recent podcasts. Yes. Lovely episodes that you've done before. Freaking nanny. And- <laughs> so. A lot of that powerlessness. Manifested itself as anger and frustration. Towards Leonardo. She was like. Little Leonardo was beat for the smallest mishaps. Even when she was just a toddler. Constantly critiqued. And. Every awful thing that Amelia wanted to say to her husband, she pushed towards the child. She would rage across her daughter during the day and then get raped at night by her husband. It was like one time Mariano didn't come home and she was kind of relieved. She didn't even notice at first because he would go on these drinking binges. But finally, after a couple days, not because she cared about him, but because she felt like she had to. She grabbed the baby and went out into the streets to look for him. Finds him in one of his friend's house. He's sick, feverish, passed out, hadn't woken up. They were too poor to afford a doctor, but honestly, I don't think she would have given a damn cent to keep that man alive. I wouldn't. His friends picked him up, took him back to the house. 
There he stayed in his alcoholic coma until he died, giving Amelia the respite of being a widow. Well, she is. She's free. from Now she could have the lifestyle she always wanted, right? Yeah. Right? No. <laughs> Stop. Uh. I'll get to that in a second, though. Uh, Leonardo didn't really have a lot of memories of him because he died when she was like three. She did remember the funeral, though, and how her mother had her stand by the graveside as both. Okay, I can tell you a lot of this is going to come from Leonardo's memoirs that she wrote while she was in prison, Mm. though there's some of it that I leave out because I feel like she embellished a little bit. Okay. She talked about being like a sex fiend and like a like just the most seductive woman of all time and i'm like we're gonna leave those details out leonardo because i don't think that really happened (laughs) a lot of other people don't either i compared her story to other people's stories of her Mm. and the things that didn't line up have not been added to today's podcast Ah, okay cool (laughs) but what she said in her memoir was that when the funeral was over her mother spat on his grave and said, that man was a pig, and it's the for the best that we're rid of him. Yeah. So, Amelia thought she'd get to go back to her family's estate, because Mariano's dead. Yeah. That didn't happen. Her family had turned their back on her entirely, and locals were like kind of treating her like a cautionary tale. Don't have sex before marriage, or you'll end up like Amelia Chinchuli. I was assaulted. Mm-hmm. Motherfuckers. Amelia could really only do one thing, and that was look for a new husband. Sure, there was nobody rich who was going to take her, but middle class? Hey, we can do that. This wasn't really good for Amelia either because she kept meeting men who either wanted to have sex with her before they got into their arranged marriages, Mm. or they were kind of defective because maybe they'd already gone to prison, so they were unmarriageable men. Oh, okay. After a while, she was just like, I'm, I'm sure she was just like, you know what? Who At this point, they already think poorly of me. I might as well give them something to talk about. No. So Amelia's second husband, well, he at least had a job. Okay. Uh, he had impressed Amelia by spending very lavishly on her. And she didn't take that as a red flag because he very frequently spent all of his money very quickly after they got married. <clears throat> This was almost worse than living with Mariano for Leonardo because it was very feast or famine with her stepdad. Her mom fed her based on the food that she and her husband brought back from the meals that they got when they went out on the town. Her mom still abused her. Her stepfather didn't seem to really register her at all. Not surprisingly, Leonardo was not even a teenager the first time she tried to kill herself. Um, she tried to hang herself in the rafters, rafters of their farmhouse. The noose came apart because it was made of dirty bedding. Uh, she did crush her larynx temporarily, mm. so she couldn't even talk for like a week. But it wasn't like anybody noticed because they all ignored her. She tried again a year later, trying to hang herself again. She survived. Amelia only seemed to care about Leonardo when Amelia started talking about marriage. Because, for the time, Leonardo was considered to be very beautiful, just like her mother. Mm. And a lot of men were becoming interested. The Montella community didn't seem to hold 
Leonardo accountable for her mother's mistakes. And so wealthy men were willing to talk and potentially marry Leonardo. Now, this starts when she's like 16. Okay. She's a young, pure, beautiful girl. She's from the Dinolfi bloodline. They're very wealthy. She'd been raised without money, so she didn't have any of the like snobbish behavior that a lot of the rich girls in town had. Right, right. She kind of acted like a regular person. So Amelia very happily went on all of these dates with her daughter, enjoying the expensive meals and the nice places. She was having so much fun that she didn't realize that Leonardo was dating in secret. And that's that is a big problem. Oh, well. Here's forced- the problem, though. Remember I told you that the, the men interested in marrying her started when she's 16? Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like 1917. Leonardo's 23 years old, and Amelia won't pick a husband for her. This is because why she was enjoying it. She was just wanted to. She wanted go the. Out to dinner? She wanted to have the experience that got taken from her. I mean, okay, vicariously through your child. Well, the problem with that is, Leonardo was like, "What are we doing here? You're, you know, yeah, be feet. You waste, yeah, you waste my time. Come on now." Well, and she definitely was aware. Amelia was definitely aware that Leonardo was not really fond of her. Mm. Now. Leonardo was not the type to just, like, not listen to her mom. That's not the world they lived in. So even though Amelia knew that her daughter was restless, she still was dragging her feet. So Leonardo chose her own husband, and his name was Rafael Pensardi. He was a couple years older than her, and he worked as a clerk. It was a low-paying government job, but it was stable income, unlike anything that she had seen from any other man in her life. Right. And she didn't really care about money anyway. She didn't exactly have a lot of it to begin with. So she didn't really crave it as an adult. Amelia was like, who is this not rich man trying to propose my daughter? He tried the right way. He really did. He, he like approached Amelia and was like, I would like to marry your daughter. And Amelia was like, she just laughed at him and let it go. What? <laughs> no. And it's really messed up because if she had taken the time to talk to Leonardo, things probably wouldn't have gone this poorly. Because what was happening is that Leonardo's like, you're making these decisions for my life and you're not including me in them. Right, yeah. And you're trying to keep me with you and you're not letting me leave or grow up. This is the first time that Leonardo disobeys her mother. She goes to Raphael, tells him, I accept your proposal. I don't need her acceptance of it. Then they go and they get married in a very small wedding with just his family and her friends. Okay, okay. She goes home to pick up a few things, and Amelia's there. Now, Leonardo expects her mother to hit her. She expects her mother to yell. Yep. What happens is actually worse. Okay. She curses her daughter's marriage. Oh, no. That's the, terrible. It is. Leonardo took those words with her and it really informed like the rest of her life she was convinced that this curse was real and it was going to ruin her life (sighs) terrible even though they lived in a really small town she tried to avoid Amelia as best she could and Raphael was a nice guy, but he also very much struggled to deal with Leonardo's behavior. Like, she would cook dinner, and if she burned something, she would cry. 
whenever he tried to help her, like if he leaned towards her mm. to reach for something, she would flinch. Mm. Of course, what we know that is is PTSD today, but he didn't understand that. And he was just like, why is she so dramatic? Like, what is going on? Yeah. <clears throat> Leonardo started having seizures whenever she got too emotional. And she didn't go to the doctor because she was like, this is obviously a manifestation of my mother's curse. Raphael tried to support her, but things weren't going so great for him either. He'd earned a lot of enemies by marrying her because his bosses were friends with the town elite and they were pissed that they hadn't gotten to marry her. Oh my God. All of his job advancement got ignored at the, at the, at the government job. So Leonardo turned to the Romani for help. She went to a fortune teller, and the fortune teller told her, Your mother's curse will not kill you. You're going to live a very long life, and you will outlive all of your children. Leonardo considered that to be the worst, most terrible thing that could happen. Yeah. And three years into her marriage, it came true. Amelia had told her, You were conceived the first time anything happened. Um, so Leonardo assumed she'd be just as fertile, but it took three years. And when she realized she was pregnant, she panicked. And unfortunately, the stress made her have more seizures. And the seizures meant she fell down a lot and she had a miscarriage three months later. Mm. Raphael very quickly realizes we're not going to be happy in Montella. And he moves them in 1920. He hopped on a train and they just went. They stopped a couple places, but they finally settled in Loria Potenza in 1921. Raphael was raised there, and they had enough money for a small house. They were 100 miles away from Amelia, the climate was warmer, and a lot of Leonardo's stress disappeared. She even started to think that maybe the curse wasn't all that real. They tried for a baby this time, and she gave birth to Giuseppe in 1922. He was healthy, the labor was easy, but they were broke. So she had to apply for jobs too. But no one really wanted to hire her, because they didn't like to hire women at all then. There was a weird undercurrent of, like, women who work are, like, not to be trusted. <laughs> what? It was just something of the time. Like, women are supposed to be in the home, and if she's out working, she obviously has money, and she can get up to trouble. What does that, what does that mean? What I mean, it's right. I have money, and I can get up to trouble. Anybody can get up to trouble with, with money. You don't have money. Can you get up to trouble? Uh, yeah. Not really. You can get into not staying in your house like a housewife would. What are you supposed to do with the house? Okay, but a housewife can still leave the house and get into something. She can become not a murderer. Not newborn Giuseppe. She can leave Giuseppe there for a little bit. <laughs> Brian, you cannot leave a newborn baby alone. What is wrong with you? You have two children. You know how this goes. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Fine. Without without the newborn, if she doesn't have the newborn, she can get into a lot of trouble because she can go and leave the house anyway. You don't have to have monies. But the situation is that she has Giuseppe to worry about. Mm-hmm. And they need money. Either way, all she could get were like gig jobs. Bartending, being a waitress. She made almost no money. The noise at the establishments made her feel anxious. She's tried to push through it, but she started having the seizures again. Her husband's like, come home. Uh. Just stay home. <laughs> Leonardo gets pregnant again miscarries again this happened over and over over the coming years she successfully did have two little girls and another boy but they got sick one of the little girls had bad lungs 
The little boy got rashes. The little girl died as a toddler and her brother right after. Mm. The doctors couldn't understand why, and no one really wanted to do an autopsy on a baby. So they didn't know if it was a genetic thing. They were just kind of like, we're just going to not do anything. So what would happen was this cycle. And I blame Raphael on this. She would be like super grieving. Mm-hmm. And then she would start to get better. And Raphael would be like, you want to have a baby? Oh. So they would try. She would get pregnant. She would spend, as long as she was pregnant, stressing. Have the miscarriage because she was constantly having seizures. Mm-hmm. Or they'd be born and she'd see them get sick and die. She lost five more children this way. Like, even the best of us would struggle with, like, one but at this point now, there are six children who have died and two mass carriages. Leonardo doesn't know what to do, but what she is going to do is she's going to focus on these two children that are alive. Mm-hmm. There's Giuseppe and there's one little girl who's still here. Also, in her, her writings, never talks about the names of the other children. Giuseppe is the only kid she ever super cared about. That is the one child she loved more than anything else. So you're just going to hear me say, girl boy giuseppe okay (laughs) i don't listen it was weird she was weird we're just gonna go along with it so her husband definitely sees like this there's an unhealthy obsession happening Mm -hmm. and he's just like he can't he knows he can't go over and like physically take like the six-year-old from her so he's just like okay look a family of four can't survive on just my little clerk income, my little secretary income. And she doesn't want to do it. Because she's convinced if she leaves them alone, someone will die. Mm. And you would think being able to just open a door and be like, ah, you're still there, would like make her feel better. Yeah. She could confirm those feelings whenever she had them. Nope. It, it only made it worse. Anytime one of her children coughed or whimpered or cried, she would rush over to them, like wake them up to make sure they were still breathing. It was very intense. (sighs) Raphael, like, is he pushes for work, though. He's like, okay, listen, my wife has some a delicate temperament. And so the one job that is they seem okay with it is she's a wife, so she probably knows how to clean. The bank needs someone to come at night and clean everything. Mm Mm-hmm. It actually worked really well for her because it was after hours. The kids were asleep. She didn't have to be around anybody. Yeah. And the bank was really cheap. Instead of buying already made cleaning supplies, they just bought the raw materials and she had to do it all herself. Oh. <laughs> which is how she learned how to make her own soaps and how she became quite good at it. Oh, okay. It it was kind of one of those things where uh, people who are anxious like to work with their hands. Like mm-hmm. I do that sometimes. And it, it soothes you. It was kind of like that for her. So as she's working, you know, these first couple weeks, she's getting all these ideas in her head. We're going to save money. This is going to be great. Then she gets her first paycheck. It's not that much money. Mm. And she realizes this is just enough for the two of them to, the four of them to live. She's not going to be able to save anything. She's not going to be able to get a better house. You just survive. Yeah. 
and the job did pull her back from the obsessive edge she was on, but she was by no means any better mentally. And then while she was at work, under Raphael's watch, her 10th child died. No. No one came to tell her because they knew what was going to happen. She came home exhausted from a night of cleaning and found that one of her, her other daughter had died. The following day, she laid the child to rest uh, in a pauper's grave and went to work again the following night. I imagine Raphael probably was a little like, oh, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Yeah, on eggshells the whole time, just... Well, what happened next is that she was like, you know what? If we had money for a doctor, then our kids would be better. Like, the kid, you know, Giuseppe won't die. Mm-hmm. Because we can't afford for someone to look at him. And so one night, shortly after Tav Child died, she created a fank account in the bank records. And she just wrote in a number that she felt would be a secure amount for her family. And she's like, listen, the bank's not, it's not going to find this. It's just a clerical error. What are you talking about? Wait, hold up. Hold up. She created a fake bank account mm-hmm. for her family. She went into <clears throat> their records, which were on paper. This is pre, you know, so anything digital. And she made an account for herself. And she has written an, an amount that she. Yes. But the bank wasn't going to have that amount. Oh, the bank was not happy. Did they? Oh, the bank found out. They found it real fast. Okay. And in fact, one day when she wasn't like one daytime, she came to like pull the money mm-hmm. and the police were there. And she was escorted to prison, charged with fraud, convicted and put in prison in 1927. Now, in the 1920s, Italian law said that women were supposed to have the same sentences as men, even. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, there weren't that many women in prison. And the men's prisons were, like, real intense. They were, like, hard labor camps. What they, they didn't have a proper place to put women, but what they did have was stuff that the Catholic Church owned. Mm-hmm. And so Leonardo gets sent to this place that's a former nunnery, still owned by the Catholic Church, Still run by nuns. It's pretty awful. And the nuns actually would just add years to women's sentences if they wanted to. What the? Listen, uh, Stephanie was uh, doing whatever. You need to add more years to her sentence. That's how it was. Look here, sister. (laughs) You ain't gonna fuck my life up. Interestingly enough, Leonardo had lived 23 years with Amelia so she knew absolutely how to deal with older, cruel women. She actually only ended up serving 18 months and was sent home to Raphael and Giuseppe. Where she had decided while she was in prison that she was the only one who could take care of Giuseppe and make sure he was safe. Now, while she's gone, family are outcasts. Raphael loses his job because of her. The Pensardi family name, Sullied. The rest of his family have to ignore him because they don't want to be connected to Leonardo. Damn. When she gets out of prison, his family's like, listen, y'all gotta go. So they just like sneak, send them some money and they leave like in the cover of darkness. Mm. Raphael was pretty tired of dealing with Leonardo's mental health. 
And he kind of just got to a place where he was like, here, just do this. You do this and you do this. And he was just kind of like directing her. She wasn't too happy about it because it reminded her of her mom. But then he got a job in Lacedonia, Avellino, and the family moved south. Lacedonia was very similar to other small towns they lived in and was really rural. But this job came with a house that overlooked the Asento River and it was pretty nice. Giuseppe and his friends liked to fish by the river. Leonardo didn't have to work, and so she just focused on taking care of the home. She's 36 years old Mm. in 1930. My God. She doted on her son. She got pregnant again. She stressed herself out, thinking about the curse from Amelia. So she started going to the Romani who traveled through Avellino, because that was like the bigger city. Mm -hmm. And so she decided to seek them out again. In a tent, she's literally, she drags Giuseppe with her, and she's just like, if I get pregnant again, are more kids going to die? And the old woman told her, on one hand, in your future, I see prison. On the other hand, I see an asylum. And so Leonardo was like, well, I literally just left prison like three months ago. So maybe that's what she's seeing. But no, she's not seeing into the past. The idea of the asylum, though, <laughs> was scary. Because back then, asylums were definitely just death sentences. Yeah. You went in and you never came out. Uh, women's prisons had little regulations, but there was an end to going to prison. If you were insane, there was no cure. They'd lock you up and you'd just rot away. She paid the woman and went home, though. She gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And she was very uneasy. She also gave birth to two more little girls. Oh. She still loved on Giuseppe hard. <laughs> but she was so ready for something bad to happen that she just walked around in silence. And it kind of freaked her husband out. With her anxiety on the rise, the seizures came back. She was afraid to pick up the younger children. Um, What would happen is that she would like just kind of like watch them. Mm-hmm. And then Raphael would come home. And then she would, like, leave the house and walk the area and visit more fortune tellers. You're stressing yourself out. The fortune tellers realized she wanted gloom and doom, <clears throat> so they kind of gave her what she wanted. And eventually she started buying her own books from them and doing her own readings. And then Summer came to Lacedonia. And the, this was a farming town. And everybody went into the fields to harvest. Raphael found himself alone in his office job as 90% of the town was out helping their families. So he's like, I guess I'll join everybody in the field. And Leonardo's friends go too. Mm -hmm. So Leonardo's like, I guess I'll go too. Uh, Like everybody was there with their kids too. So it was just sort of this really nice vibe. Okay. Everybody's working in the hot sun, having a good time. The sun goes down. They have a little party, eat some of the food. She let herself relax. You know, they would dance around the fire at night. I'm not liking where this is going. This was like the first time. Just they had a carefree moment. So Raphael, Leonardo, Giuseppe, and the kids fall asleep with their neighbors in the fields at night. It's really nice. Okay. July 23rd. It's 1930. Leonardo wakes up very abruptly and she reaches out and she doesn't really feel anything. Other people wake up too. 
It was like everybody had been shaken awake at once and they were like, are there ghosts? The wind was kind of weird. They all relaxed as the wind died down and people returned to sleep. But Leonardo couldn't. This felt like that impending doom that she was used to. And so she laid with the babies and her husband. And he went back to sleep. She just stared at the night sky for like the next hour. An hour later, there's a tremor. And she thinks that she's having a seizure because everything's shaking. (laughs) And she realizes that everyone is shaking. This was an earthquake. And it's a real bad one. The field rips apart, tossing people around. From the fields, they can see their houses are falling apart as well. Oh, wow. She watched as her home disappeared into the earth and the river next to it. The whole town crumbled. The few people in their homes came running out. Stones fell on them. This was known as the Arpinia earthquake of 1930. Arpinia is the area around Avellino that is a part of the Apennine Mountains. The death toll of this earthquake was pretty low. Only 1,400 people died, but it was incredibly destructive. European seismic scale is in Roman numerals. And the one is nobody felt it and nothing bad happened. The worst one is 12, which is that the ground is irreparably damaged and all of the structures are gone. The Arpinia earthquake of 1930 was a 10. Close. 70% of the town was destroyed when the earthquake happened. So what happened next was that the townsfolk who were in the fields rushed to the buildings to try and save people because they could hear screaming. People were stuck inside. Mm-hmm. The par- the Pinsardi family did not move. Leonardo was stuck. She was terrified. She was paralyzed. And her husband couldn't take all these kids with him. Right. Yeah. Several of them are like, we got like a baby and two toddlers and like an eight-year-old at this point. It's interesting that she thinks of her life as like this horrible thing and this doom because that fear she had that made her stay in the middle of that field is the reason why they probably all survived. Oh. The earthquake happened at 12.08. There were 16 aftershocks over the next 24 hours. Oh my god. The entire town is fucking leveled. The majority of those 1,400 deaths were all from Avino. By the end of the 24-hour period, every house was destroyed. The government put up these like small temporary houses for people, but the government wouldn't even be able to fix that area for another 40 years. 40? Oh, my it God. It did not become a town again until the 70s. Wow. It's very beautiful. I looked it up, but... 40 years. Mm-hmm. A long time. Okay. Yeah. Leonardo was devastated. The little life that they had been building for like the last eight months was over. Little's known about the time between Avellino and Correggio, but we do know that when they arrived, family was Leonardo, Raphael, two little boys, and two little girls. Of 14 pregnancies, four survived. When the Ponsardi family arrived, they were pretty much embraced by the community as refugees from the earthquake near Naples. People rushed to help them. Raphael very quickly got another office job. They were able to rent a small house in town that was attached to a general store. Mm. This honestly wasn't the worst place for them to be. The children were all well-liked, and Leonardo was a little bit less intense with watching the children because she kind of looked at it as like, we survived an earthquake. What more can I do by watching them? Mm. The earth tried to eat us. 
So she's like, screw it, let him play in the dirt in the river. She still wasn't emotionally all there, though. The first few weeks to month in Correggio, she found it very difficult to do anything more than just stare in the distance. Like, she would just lay in bed all day long. The local women were pretty empathetic, realized that she'd lost everything. And like many people who lose stuff like that, you just don't feel safe anymore. Yeah. Eventually, though, in Correggio, she started to feel like a human being. This was very new for her. She was going through, like, proper emotions here. She was angry at what she lost. She was grieving for her dead friends. Happy that her family made it. Guilt that her family made it. Mm -hmm. You know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Feeling all the feelings is really hard, but it's also very good. Greggio is also the place where family found real financial stability. They had savings. Leonardo wondered if the curse was over because Lacedonia had been destroyed. Yeah, like, they survived that earthquake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After those months of silence, she came out of her shell and she wanted to apologize to people. So she tried to be extra kind to her husband and her children. She went to the other ladies in the town who were really nice to her. And those apologies kind of turned into friendship. And everybody understood she was going through something really awful. Maybe her friends didn't know just how big of a change she was going through, but it didn't mm. matter. Like I said, a lot of what we know about this is from these journals that she kept which were also evidence, but she also wrote poetry and she was actually really good at it and people really liked it. Cool. Now, I remember I told you the house was attached to a general store. Yes. When they first moved there, they just locked it up because they didn't want the kids to like get into it. Right. One day she decides to go inside and clean it up. It had been empty for years, but it was honestly still in good condition and she only needed a product and she remembered that she knew how to make soap. So she talks to her husband and he gives his blessing and he buys the supplies for her along with the perfumes and oils that she needs from like big towns further away. A few weeks later, the shop was clean. Giuseppe painted the shop sign, hung it above the door. She'd allowed her family and a couple of her friends to test her product. And the rumors around town was that this was good. Oh, This nice. was better soap than you could buy from the store. Ooh. Whole town shows up. It's a massive success. She starts getting requests from people all over Italy. It's like a fairy tale. This is a life that Amelia, her mother, dreamed of. (laughs) And she had never been allowed to dream it herself. She would visit her friends. She would make cakes. Her her daughters would help serve food. They would help at the shop. The local women then found out, you know how to do card readings? Oh, no. (laughs) So they started coming to her house and getting readings. She was actually really good at it because when her prophecies came true people were like oh no you're the real thing exactly what you said was gonna happen happened oh no then the romani who also passed through the area heard about this too and they uh, would come and they would barter with her in exchange for the fancy soaps Mm -hmm. they would give her more and more like occult books oh nice she had this spiritualist library in her house that's what I need that she loved and honestly the only thing she loved more than Giuseppe was her little study Mm -hmm. full of occult books she actually started looking into European witchcraft traditions she learned about uh, the Bendicaria and Stragonaria which are both traditional folk magic from Europe Uh, she was very interested in being able to control her fate her goal was to be what's called a facciere a magical fixture okay she learned medicinal ways to take care of things for people. So if a young woman found herself with child, 
they would find Leonardo and go home with a special herbal tea and soon not have a problem. Not have a problem? That problem was gone. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh, Men in the village would discreetly visit her for a potion to help with their vitality. Uh, It worked. She made things for sickness, fertility, (laughs) luck. Oh, goodness. You needed something to help you out with that thing you didn't want to talk about. Look, I'm, I'm just, look, ED is a is a common problem. It is. Listen, I'm guys. just saying Leonardo <laughs> Ciccioli came up with the first blue pill. <laughs> Nothing to be ashamed about, guys. She came up with the pill before we had <clears throat> Viagra. She just gave a little, listen, had a little of syrup. You'd be all right. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So everything was going perfect. In her life. Mm. They lived in Correggio for almost a decade. And then in 1939, World War II broke out. And Giuseppe decided he wanted to be a soldier. No, you do not. It's not that he didn't love his mother. But the first half of his life, she'd been very overbearing. And he wanted to leave Correggio without hurting her feelings. He saw his mom as this really emotional, delicate woman. And he knew he couldn't just leave the house. And by the way... He's a grown-ass man at this time in his life. You still can't go. No. He's in his 20s. I don't care. <laughs> oh, no. So he's like, if I enlist in the military, this will give me a chance to see the world. I'll get to leave. And sure, she'll be upset. But she'll have to understand I'm a man. And I'm going to help my country. He really ate up the propaganda from Mussolini at the gotta time. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And it's really interesting because perhaps if Leonardo had set Giuseppe up when he was 18 with a lady, he would have a wife and kids and he wouldn't have wanted to leave for the war. But instead, he didn't have anything tethering him to Correggio. He had his mom tethering him. She was hanging to his leg. No. <laughs> he actually signed up without telling her. Oh, that's even worse. And what happens is that the other young men told like his friends told their moms and everybody was like do you think she knows no giuseppe at first he was like this will be fine and then he was like no it won't be fine i'm not gonna say anything and he just kind of like walked around for a couple days and he was very worried he's like she's gonna find out it's gonna be a problem so leonardo's one day at the market someone walks by and congratulates her on her son's bravery no reaction she buys her groceries Goes into the house, lays out what she's going to use to make dinner for later. Mm-hmm. Goes into her study, locks the door, falls apart for a little bit. Like, the problem is, no women in Europe were unaware of the First World War and how many men died in World War One. Yeah. It destroyed a lot of families. And while her family had been spared because of the social hierarchy and what was going on in her mother's status in town, she did see it happen to other women. And she also thought, Giuseppe's a good kid, but he's not really a fighter. <clears throat> She's like, if he goes to war, he's coming back in a casket. So she spent hours, she literally spent hours that day in her study trying to figure out what she knew how to do that could help him. Giuseppe comes home, drunk. His friends had taken him to a bar. Congratulations, <laughs> you're going to be a soldier. He walks in and he sees that one, his dad, and siblings are gone. And he's like, okay, well, maybe they went out to eat. But the food's on the table still. And the house is quiet. All he hears is upstairs just scratching. 
scratching. He's like, okay, she's in her study. He hears her talking to herself, flipping pages in books. He's like, she probably found out. He's like, I got to go upstairs and talk to her. He opens the door. Her back's to the door. She, there's just a pile of books on the table. She is pouring over her library. Mm -hmm. He's expecting yelling, but she turns around, smiles, and it's just like, my beautiful boy. They go downstairs to make a little, you know, rush meal. It wasn't like the kind of meals, though, that she made when he was little. She, because she was, sometimes she would be so stressed, she would forget to cook. And so they would have little rush meals then. But this was different. She spoke to her son like they were equals. He wasn't a boy anymore. She knew that. She very calmly talked to him about his options. Can you leave town to join the army? He's like, I don't want to do that. You Couldn't you withdraw your consent? I cannot withdraw my consent. At the end, she's still very calm. Giuseppe's kind of shocked. He didn't realize that she is making her own plan to deal with this. And she's actually looking into some real dark stuff. She decided already she was going to use death math, death magic to save her son. And she's going to send him off with a ward to protect him as well. And unfortunately, the cornerstone of a lot of death magic is that there must be a sacrifice. Yep. Unfortunately, she doesn't realize that the sacrifice normally needs to be equal in value. Yep. But we're going to get to that part eventually. See, at first she just thought, maybe I can just give him a ward. But she's like, the problem with that is, on a battlefield, it'd be very easy for him to be separated from his stuff. So it won't protect him. So she says, I definitely have to kill somebody to make sure that the spirits will be appeased and my boy won't die. So she's like, well, I want to make sure that the death is painless and fast. I don't want to hurt somebody. She did briefly think of the idea of just giving the draught, like a, a death draught to somebody in town mm-hmm. with their other medicine that they buy from her and being like, oh no, but then that would just be a body. And that wasn't, she didn't think that was going to be a good way of doing this. Leonardo's first victim was named Faustina Seti. Faustina was older. She'd never been married, which, as I mentioned to you before, is a downside Listen, we still call people spinsters today, Brian, and this is Do not a hundred really? years ago. Yes. <clears throat> Listen, you don't know people be like, oh, you're 35, you don't know, you're not married. What you doing? You got cats? You know how people are. <laughs> Spinster. <laughs> oh god. So that was Faustina. And so she came to Leonardo because she was like, Listen, can you find me a husband? Oh. She told Leonardo she was still a virgin. She had never done anything. She's like, I'm still of marriageable quality. Leonardo's like, bet, virgin sacrifice. Oh my God. So pure. (laughs) So Leonardo tells her she found a man in the city of Pola, but you can't tell anybody yet. She encouraged Faustina to write letters to her family and friends and mail them once she left town. So Faustina's like, okay. And she has one final meeting with leonardo at her shop mm-hmm. that is when leonardo killed her she gave her a drink um it wasn't the best sedative because she was pro- apparently still awake and also leonardo didn't realize that killing someone with an axe is not easy her first murder was brutal she just was hidden all over the place yeah you gotta just messing everything up yeah. no no skill at all here you gotta be precise with those. Took a lot of hits. The axe was very hard to use. 
She ended up cutting the body into pieces further, mm. hanging those on her herb drying rack, and then massaging the blood out into like little trays. Those trays she put in the oven, which she had kept hot, the blood so that the blood would dry and become a powder so she could use it. She put the rest of Faustina in a very caustic soap to dissolve her using the same pots she used for her family's cooking. Oh. I don't think her family cared when she was making soap in those pots because, mm. you know, <laughs> it was only soap. Yeah, just soap. You know, it's just going to make it more clean, you know? Yeah, of course. Well, after a while... She's like, you know what? This is just a normal soap and tea cake making day. I do this once a week anyway. The body rendered down the fat, but when she pulled off the lid, she said it was like a horrible, nasty brown color. The blood trays came out really good, though. And she added the blood trays to a bowl of flour, sugar, eggs. Giuseppe would need to eat these to take in Vostina's essence so that they had to be good, so she added a little extra vanilla. Yeah, did you notice you can substitute uh, blood for eggs? I knew you knew that. We <laughs> talked about that. That was on your uh, TikTok. I just love that's a thing. Well, she couldn't do anything with the brown goo. It's not supposed to be brown. Mm-hmm. So she takes it and dumps it in to the septic pits. She said, this this isn't going to be a good soap. She had wasted Faustina's death. She's going to have to do this again. The murder had been kind of traumatic for her, honestly. Um, people who got the letters were pretty excited. Faustina found a man. Nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She sold the tea cakes. No one said anything about them. She had perfected those, but she needed a new person to complete this ritual. August of 1940 is three months before Giuseppe is set to go to war. Leonardo's like, okay, I got to do this again. Our next victim is Francesca Salva, a school teacher and widow who had retired. She was a little younger than Leonardo, but had no children and no one to worry about her. She's well-liked in town, and she came to Leonardo wanting to know her fortune. Leonardo told her that she would find success and happiness in going back to work. I'll even help you find a good job soon after leonardo tells her that she found her job at this elite girls school in piacenza almost it's like on the edge of italy near switzerland switzerland as you know posh it's it's the pinnacle of of music and art and all sorts of awesome stuff fantastic she's like i used my connections you know i know some you know wealthy people and People did know that she did have high society clients. Mm-hmm. So Francesca believed her. In September of 1940, after a month of faked postcards and lies, Francesca was ready to leave. She accepted a drink from Leonardo the morning of her departure. This time, she was better with the axe. She didn't swig all willy-nilly. She actually laid out basins to collect all the blood because before she had really had to clean the kitchen. Mm. She did everything the same, and she still got the same result. It was all unusable, and she was so mad that she went to actually take the the pan and throw it, and she grabbed it, and it was burning hot. Mm. She burned both of her hands, and she had to wait for Giuseppe to come home 
and take it to the septic thing and dump it. Now, Giuseppe's like, this is weird. Cardi B, that's weird. (laughs) Uh, He's like, is she going to unravel again? I'm getting closer to leaving. Then he thinks, maybe she purposefully hurt herself to try and get me to stay. Mm. She's like, no, no, no. It was just an accident. I wasn't thinking. Leonardo decides the problem with the second batch was that her intent was wrong. She did a better job, but she just intention. Magic is intention. This is true. It gets very close to his departure date. Her final victim is Virginia. No, I can't say this girl's name. I think it's Cachapo. A former soprano and opera singer who was beloved by the town. And even though she was a celebrity, she was very kind. They were friends who had bonded over creativity and music and poetry. (sighs) One day, Virginia came to Leonardo and said, Leonardo, and said, I'm going to leave. And at first, Leonardo was hurt. She was just like, you're just going to leave? We friends, fam. You're just (laughs) dipping? But then she was just like, wait, I can use this to my advantage. Um, Virginia just wanted to leave and see the world. Um, she'd been living with her brother and his wife for a little while, and I think she was tired of being a third wheel. But Leonardo convinced her to let me, she's like, let me try and set something up for you so you don't just like walk into the wilderness by yourself. Mm-hmm. Her thought was since Virginia was remarkable, and so was Giuseppe, she had maybe failed before because the sacrifices just weren't equal. They were both younger. In their 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She convinced okay. Virginia. She was like, listen, don't tell your brother yet. I found a job for you. But the person who it's with, very wealthy, elite person. Not going to give a whole lot of details. Over the next couple of like months, Virginia kind of pulls the story out of her. So her family does know a little bit. Finally, she finds out. You're going to be managing the affairs of a very wealthy man in the South in a pretty big city. It pays super good. You're going to be working for an impresario, which is a a finance person who gives money to the arts. Not only are you going to be managing his, his private affairs, but also helping with the business. And she said that he's, she told Virginia, he's interested in you because he knows that you were a famous singer and perhaps maybe you could perform at his business as well. Virginia is very, enticed Mm -hmm. by the mystery of it all she goes he lives just outside of florence you're gonna have an apartment in florence you're gonna be right in the middle of all of the 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 amazing stuff going on in florence florence italy is one of the most it's a cultural like center right right, so this is exactly the place that a woman in her like mid to late 20s who's trying to see the world and have an exciting adventure would want to go she says goodbye to her brother september 30th 1940 she thanks him for letting him live there. Um, her sister-in-law was out, so she couldn't say goodbye. She showed up to, she showed up to Leonardo's, but later than normal. Normally, the women showed up early, but <laughs> our girl Virginia showed up afternoon wearing furs and jewelry. She's like, I'm she, ready. Let's go. Well, she always downplayed her <clears throat> look because she didn't want to make people in town like feel crappy. Yeah. But here she was like, it doesn't matter because I'm leaving. Yep. So today when I leave... 
drip. The drip <laughs> is outrageous. So Leonardo comes to the door and is pretty surprised. Um, the two sit in her kitchen. They have a chat. Leonardo has to beg her <clears throat> to drink the potion. Oh. Because, like, Virginia's like, listen, I'm not trying to be drunk while I head out. And finally, she's just like, if it if it matters this much to you, I will drink it. <laughs> of course it does. Because I'm going to kill you. Um, Leonardo, actually, at least, she couldn't bear to destroy the clothing. So she took it off of her. She focused her intent. She went through the motions again. She took Virginia's perfume out of her trunk, mm. poured it into the vats. She made the tea cakes. She said this time, like before the tea cakes tasted a little irony. Because mm, of the blood, yes. This time they were pretty sweet. Oh. Her blood was sweet. Okay. Also, unlike the women before, when she opened the mm. vat of rendered fat and bones and hair, mm-hmm. it was white. And it was a creamy consistency. Oh, interesting. Uh, there was one final ingredient that was added, which was the fact that Leonardo cried over killing her friend and decided, like, this is just my burden that I will have to bear, that I killed somebody that I, I care for for the sake of my son. You poor thing. You poor murderer. She prepared the soaps and then she hid all of the crime. So she needed Giuseppe to eat the tea cakes and bathe with the soap to protect him both internally and externally. He comes home and she's just like, you're leaving soon? I have to bathe you. Giuseppe is not okay with this. She forces it. She legitimately (laughs) takes him into the bathroom. He's naked in the tub. She washes every part of his body. Including the sensitive parts, he is very uncomfortable about this. Yes, of course. He was super weirded out. Then, they go downstairs, he's sitting in the kitchen in a towel, and he's like, why do I Why do I need to eat this? And she's like, you have to eat this. And she pretty much, like, hand feeds him the stupid <laughs> tea cakes. Is this just, like, the single worst thing to happen to this young man? She's very satisfied. She's like, Bet I did it. The spell is complete. Yes. Giuseppe avoids his mom from this moment on. Oh. Oh. He's very freaked out. She's like, doesn't matter. I protected him. People of town ate the rest of the tea cakes. They bought up all the soaps. Mm -hmm. Now, when the first woman died, there's a rumor that she collected roughly 30,000 lire. I'll explain the conversion rate for this money in a little bit. Okay, sweet. The second woman had about 3000 Virginia had 50000 Oh. Whew. Uh, she felt guilty for keeping the money, and she actually didn't spend it right away, which was a good thing because people would have known something was off. Mm-hmm. From afar, Giuseppe watched his mother. He was like, she's strangely calm. And although she looked sad, he didn't see the terror in her eyes anymore like he saw when she was a kid. And he took that as a sign of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And he got ready to leave. Now, the letters that Leonardo had her victims send her families helped at first. But as months passed and no one heard anything from them, people got worried. Virginia's family kicked up a fuss, specifically her sister-in-law. Had she met this mystery man? Who knew anything about this? Her sister-in-law starts her own little investigation. No one has any idea what Mrs. Cachapo was even 
talking about. Yeah. But they're like, listen, Leonardo's real good with the, you know, the soaps and the, 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 the and magic. Stuff. You should uh, ask her. Maybe she knows what happened. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure she'll be able to help you. <laughs> so Mrs. Mrs. Chapo arrives at Leonardo's door. And Leonardo hands her a cup of coffee, pulls her hand in, and is like, I knew you were coming. I'm sure you did. <laughs> Cachapo is skeptical. When Cachapo asks about Virginia, Leonardo apologizes and says, I can't tell you anything more than you already know. She's like, Virginia told me about the trip, and that was it. And then Leonardo actually like starts crying. And she's like, no, 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 it's just because I miss my friend. Don't worry about it. Mrs. Cachapo is suspicious. Why? She misses her friend. She can't cry because of that? Well, she speaks to Leonardo's neighbors. And they were like, you know what? We did see her. We saw Virginia in her fancy clothes. She was here. And you know what? We never saw a taxi. I don't remember seeing her even leave. (laughs) So now already, uh, Cachapo had already been to the police. And the local PD were like, lady, your niece-in-law was like a really famous singer who went to Florence to go be a famous singer mm-hmm. again. So she's like, no, no, no. And she goes over their head to the superintendent of the entire province. The superintendent is like, this is interesting. We're going to look into it. Very quickly, they discover there are several women who went missing who all visited Leonardo before she disappeared. She was brought in for cut. Questioning, she gave them nothing. At this point, she was very good at lying. Hmm. You have to be considering what she was doing with the fortune telling. This is true. She was not gifted. She just knew how to get information out of people and how to lie. And how to lie in a way that they believed. Um, she told them, sure, I advised all of these women with my card reading, but I haven't heard from any of them in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Italy has some pretty intense rules around search and seizure, and they didn't have enough evidence to go into Leonardo's home. So instead, they looked into the letters. And that is where kind of the fatal flaw happened. Leonardo didn't go to the other cities. She had Giuseppe go and drop off the packages, those letters. Mm -hmm. And the police are like, well, all this money was taken from these women. He's about to leave town and go to war. He killed them to start a new life for himself. They take Giuseppe in. He has no idea what they are talking about. He had never, the only woman he'd even seen was Virginia because she was famous. Yeah. A couple hours later, Leonardo shows up at the police station banging on the door. She's like, I did it. It was me. Let my son go, please. Yep. They're like, come on, old lady. You're just trying to save your son. But then she describes the murder in some real intense details. And I'm going to read you a couple of these quotes. Let's go. She said, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which is sodium hydroxide, Mm -hmm. which I had bought to make soap and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved into a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied in a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit. Giuseppe and I also ate them. 
Then of Virginia, she says, she ended up in the pot just like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne. And after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some of the most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to the neighbors and acquaintances. The takes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Oh, 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 so creamy. Now, across three women, she had stolen about 83,000 lire, which is about 9,800 U.S. dollars in 1940, which is about $181,000 right now. Mm, It's not bad. It's a lot of money. Yeah, not bad. No, as this is happening, Giuseppe's still in the room. He turns (laughs) white. Starts vomiting yep. in the police station. Yep. And he now realizes what she'd been up to for the last nine months. And he told the police she has an entire study devoted to witchcraft. Leonardo was very frank. She's like, yeah, I did this to protect him. And the police were sympathetic at first because they're like, oh, she's just trying to help her son. They were kind of scared by the end of the interview. I see why. The Pensardi children and Raphael are shunned immediately. The soap business, dead. Stolen money, gone, and the children actually leave Correggio before she even goes to trial. Oh, wow. Giuseppe was happy to leave and go to the military. He didn't even stop by the jail to visit her. Oh, He had already been, he was already really upset about the bath situation. Okay, yes. I. <laughs> so adding the bath and you ate me, you made me eat people, he's done. <laughs> this relationship is dead. Oh, all that work she's done to protect him. Six years later, it goes to trial. In court, she identifies the axe, the basins, the pots she used for a crime. She's very like poignant about correcting the prosecutor on things he has wrong about what she actually did. She's very much lapping up this attention. Mm. She tells the... Uh, judge that she had to give up some of the items because during the war they needed metal so she had to give up all of her ladles and things that she used so they're not there oh oh right right of course she narrates these crimes in detail on the stand in front of the victim's families she's making crash jokes she's cackling that's all day one Day two and three, though, things get a little harder for her. She gets a little bit more emotional. She starts kind of unraveling in front of everybody. Mm. An expert comes in and is like, listen, it's there's no way she can do what she said she did. That's Bodies don't degrade like that in only a day. She gets up and she starts yelling at him. You bring me a body, I'll do it right now. Anybody, <laughs> young or old, they end up having to drag her out of the room as she's screaming at him because he dared tell her that she couldn't actually do it. Oh, my God. And it's, it is true, though, because if anybody was the expert on how to do what she did, it was her. Yes, it's true. Yeah, yeah. How dare And they were you? doubting her. She's convicted after only three days. She's given 30 years in prison and three years in an asylum. The court could tell from how she spoke that she was real unwell and definitely psychotic. And the Romani woman had been right. On one hand, prison. The other, an asylum. Well, she got both. She spent the next 24 years at Pizzuli Prison. She was rather popular after six years of the investigation and that rather explosive testimony. Even though she went to jail for boiling women into soap, they are like, we got to give her a job. And she's real good in the kitchen. So she worked as a cook. Okay, cool. 
cool. Well, <clears throat> all of the inmates were like, bet, this is awesome. The desserts are great. And Leonardo's like, hey, guards, you can have some. And not a one of them wanted to taste anything she made. What? what? The entire no. time she was there. Oh, my God. It, I'm pretty sure they tasted delicious. So, she very much liked all the attention she got. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Psychiatrist came, interviewed her for books. She wrote her own book. It's called The Confessions of an Embittered Soul. I could not find the whole thing translated into English, but I did find it. Okay. A lot of it matches the story that I told you today, but I told you she took some liberties. Mm -hmm. She said she was using sex magic. She was seducing men. She slept with all of her friends' husbands. I mean, sex magic is a thing. Brian. (laughs) It's a thing. It's a thing. She even said she had a lover in prison, but I'm also not sure I believe that one either because the guards were actually terrified of her. Mm. They wouldn't eat anything from her. I don't think they were willing to dip their uh, toe in that well. Oh also, fun God. fact, the book also includes recipes. Oh. Including the cannibal tea cake recipe. I, it is totally in there. I, I may need to get this book. 20 years into her sentence, she has a minor stroke, or what they think is a stroke. The doctors keep, like, what happens is she keeps having these weird moments that seem like strokes. Mm. Can't figure it out why. They realize she has a brain bleed, but they also don't understand where that came from. And then they were like, they looked into the process of what she did to the victims. She was poisoned by the caustic soda vapors when she was rendering the fat of the people. Because when it's a small amount of fat, it wasn't nearly the same amount. But imagine trying to... That was a lot of pans. It was a lot of that vapor. And she was breathing it in. Didn't have a mask on. The same thing she used to kill her victims had made a very small hole in her brain. And it wouldn't stop bleeding. A a strange karma. Mm Mm-hmm. She finished her time at the women's prison. She went to the psych prison. And that is where she died on October 14th, 1970, one year before her release. The blood buildup just caused too much pressure in her skull. Uh, These days, obviously, we would just drill a hole in someone's head and relieve that pressure to help them. (laughs) Honestly, you could repair what happened to her, too. Yeah. But we didn't have that kind of medicine back then. I don't know if neurosurgery was even a thing we were doing in 1970. In rural Italy. One of my friends uh, visited her family in rural Italy and she said it was awesome. Really? Oh. Different experience than going to the tourist spots. I believe it. The official death uh, was listed as cerebral apoplexy. She was 76 years old and she was making jokes with inmates and orderlies up until she died. Her family could not be found to claim her body. Italy worried that her gravesite could become a spot for desecration, desecration, but also for excitement. So they were like, they were worried that people were going to be like, oh, we're going to visit the soap maker. They didn't want it to become like a place where people could go for like a tourist attraction. Okay. She was cremated. Her cremains were disposed somewhere. Not turned into soap? Not turned into soap. Damn. So the next question, the real question here is, did she outlive her children? 
like the first fortune teller prophecy. Right. What happened to Giuseppe? Well, first things first, she outlived Raphael. He actually died um, in a small rural village further south. He had taken to drinking after learning of what she did. Mm -hmm. And he died before she even went to trial. Oh, wow. Yep. Her three youngest children could not legally change their name. The process to change your name involved creating a paper trail. So what they believe happened is that more than likely they used like a name of their own Mm -hmm. just locally. And it was just never registered because um, they didn't start registering. um, You know, we have like social security and stuff like that. Things like that. Yeah. That didn't happen until 20th century Italy. Okay. And it was World War II. So it's very likely they were easy to like slip through the cracks. Yeah. yeah okay. We don't know what happened to them. <sighs> they, they slipped off in the distance. And Giuseppe, he went to war. He was deployed to the African theater and then later redirected to the Tunisian campaign. In May of 1943, the Africa Corps was defeated and the majority of the Italian First Army were captured and taken to the UK as prisoners of war. When searching through those records for prisoners of war, there is no one by the name of Giuseppe Ponsardi. His name is not in any death records as well. What happened? I think that it's possible that it could have been a situation where he took the credentials of someone else who died on the battlefield and just lives as a different person. Uh, it could have been very easy. Like I said, they didn't do mass registration until the 20th century. It's highly plausible that he either lived as a different person for the rest of his life, or he could have died on the battlefield. That, that we don't know. That's plausible. Uh, yeah, it's, that, it's something that used to happen. Yeah, it's, that, it's the Mad Men thing that happened on the TV show Mad Men. I don't know what he just took the name of another guy who was already dead. Oh, and lived a new life. I've never watched Mad Men, but no, it's um. There's another serial killer, mm-hmm. and he was a, a Nazi scientist. And he, right. What's his freaking name? I, I don't know his name, but I know you're talking about. Yeah, that guy. He did the same thing. He just took somebody else's credentials and yeah. pretended to be another person yeah, yeah, and went yeah. to a whole other country and everything. Yeah. yeah they yeah. didn't find out until way later. Exactly. Yeah, but, so in that time period, it would have been very likely. It's probably likely that we just don't know the name that he went by after that. Okay, well, hopefully he survived I long so because too. his mom went through a lot to. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't hope he survived because his mom killed people for him. I hope he survived because he survived. Well, that war is awful. Yes, that too. But I mean, regardless of whether he lived or survived, the day he found out about that, yeah, it was, was just, the end mm, for them. Yeah, terrible. And yeah, that <sighs> is all I have for you today. That was a good one. Applause. Applause. Yay. And before we start yours, I do want to talk about something really quick. It's not going to be like a whole ad. I know some of y'all don't like ads. But (laughs) there is something that I am super interested in. It's called an If I Go Missing file. And I'm working with a company called HelpYouFind.me. If it's just it helps you create an online file of all of your vital records so that if you go missing, you can give those to the police and you don't have to wait for the police to request those documents which can take weeks this can be given to the police like the day you go missing i think it's really cool and uh the code to get 20 percent off is wkgc20 uh, it's on the website they give you a free 15 days just so you can look it over but like the cheapest plan is only 19 bucks 
regardless of whether I had an account or not with them. Like, I think this is really cool. I have an account with them. I don't think Brian's checked it out yet, but he also... I've checked it out. You did? Did you make anything yet? I did not make an account yet. Oh, you should. You just go to the link that I have. It's pretty cool. Like I said, I... Listen, the majority of us are probably not going to get murdered. But (laughs) uh, the guy who made it, the guy who created the actual website, did it because he was so tired of whenever he went on a trip, his mom and his wife would harass him for details. Mm. So you can put like your travel plans on there so that at any time someone's worried about you, they can find you and you can give them access. Yeah. This would have been probably good for, this is probably good for parents with college kids. Yes, definitely. Because college kids don't like to call home. And parents want to know. I barely like to call home now. I'm not even hey, in college. Same. I feel really bad. I'm like, I haven't called my dad in like a month. I think about him all the time. That matters. That counts, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was really cool. And it's definitely something that I thought you all would like. I have never taken like an official real ad from any company because I think that I don't want to sell you guys the coldest water bottles or other crap like that. Those water bottles are pretty awesome. They're $150, Brian. Who is going to spend $150 on a water bottle, sir? Nobody. Nobody. Not even me. I think my my awesome thermos was like $30. Exactly. (laughs) That's outlandish. But I I just, you know, that's my thing. Mm. So. So what do you have for us today, Brian? All right. I have a lovely, lovely tale for you. Is it sad? No. Okay. Not today. Well, I haven't done any sad ones yet. At least I don't think I have. Okay. I don't think I have. Maybe it's just me. You? Yeah, no. Paranormal is more of the funny, goofy side. You, true crime, is, it's the downer. <laughs> Listen, you asked to be part of this. Oh, goodness. Or did I ask you to be a part of this? I think we both asked. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, so it's September. Okay. Uh, meaning almost time for Halloween. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah, like yeah. as soon as it hits September, you're just like spooky season. <laughs> what is what is autumn anymore? It's spooky season. It's the like, whole autumn, all of it. It's yeah. my favorite time of the year. There's no more fall, just spooky season. Oh, it's get, my birth miss. Yes. But yeah, time to get those costumes ready for your kiddos and for yourself too. Uh, it's getting cooler at night. Um, autumn's in the air, and it's the perfect time to wear a striped sweater. Why is the perfect time to wear a striped sweater, sir? Because it's all the time. It's the perfect time to wear a striped sweater. Sweater, but <laughs> what color are those stripes, please? Because when you say striped sweater, I think where's Waldo? Oh my God, no. Okay. I was doing a SpongeBob. Really? Ah, uh, <laughs> sorry, my brain went. Where's Waldo? Oh my God. I am a kindergarten <laughs> teacher. Oh, <clears throat> anyway, that is unless you live in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia. Okay. There's an urban legend about a man, uh, his his white suit and his hatchet. Uh, this is the Bunny Man urban legend. Heard of him? Is this person actually a real person? Yes. I think I do know this. I'm going to say yes, because there's there's actual accounts of this, and there's 
actual proof of this person existing. No, there and was then, like a person. I remember this one story, and people thought he was scary, but really he had a disability. Oh, that's another thing. I different, think that's the other different one. one. Yeah, I think that's another thing. I told uh, the Green Man up in like towards yeah, the, oh, that was like, what I was Pittsburgh thinking. Pittsburgh or Ohio, like that's what I was thinking. That you were going to tell me about. Yeah. Okay, so wrong one, Buddy yeah. Man. I this sounds familiar though. So, all right. So there's an actual like urban legend behind this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell that after I do this, after I do like the the two actual reports. Oh. of what happened? So there's okay. an actual story. Um, so we have first, you know, accounts. Yeah, absolutely. So there are two initial reports that, like, everybody knows, or, you know, whoever tells this tale, they know. Um, so, it's October mm-hmm. 19th, 1970. Uh, an Air Force Academy cadet, uh, his name is Robert Bennett, and his fiance they're on their way to visit a relative after they go to this football game. So this is around midnight, and they park on Guinea Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you know Bennett's uncle, he lives right across the street from there. So they're just like, let's just pop in and say hi. Okay. So they're sitting in their car. The car is still on. You know, they're idling, just blah, talking. Probably who knows mm-hmm. what they're doing in the car. Yeah, the time period when the Zodiac Killer would just show up and kill people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> so they they notice something moving like in the rear window mm-hmm. and before they even know it there's something thrown through their passenger side window vroom vroom and yep as as, as soon as that happens bennett puts the car in drive or he reverses it out of you know his parking spot and then he just speeds off. Listen, we call we call Uncle Jimmy when we get home. Um while they're driving away, they can hear this person screaming at them about them trespassing and that that he got their plates or their tags or whatever and you know, not to be around there. Wow. So as they're driving, they notice what was thrown through their car mm-hmm. window, and it's a hatchet. Ooh. Or a small axe or whatever. Aggressive you want to for yeah. what was only what you can deem trespassing. Exactly. That is some super Karen behavior. Um, so, think what they noticed about this man, or this person, was that he was wearing, like, all white. Like, a kind of like a white suit. Peculiar. It's really weird. Colonel Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> so they head to the police, you know, to give them the report. Bennett adds um, a a feature that his fiance did not notice um, or that she did not think Remember. was there. Yeah. <laughs> or she was like, no, that didn't happen. That wasn't, that's not what you saw. But he, uh, he, he told the police that he saw that the guy had long... Wait, rabbit ears on his head, too. So the police think this guy's wearing a costume and harassing people. Uh, yeah. So that's that's first account. Okay. Second account, October 29th, same year. So just a couple weeks later? Uh, Yeah. Ten days later. Uh, a, construc- a construction security guard, he approaches this guy... Because, you know, he's in his work area, and this is where they're building houses and stuff. 
Okay. So he approaches this guy who's like standing on this like half finished house's porch. Right. And he's like the 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 guy he's staring at the constru- the, the security guard and he's like using this hatchet or axe thing and he's just stabbing this um this mail post with it and just staring at him like threateningly weird yeah again this is uh on guinea guinea drive or guinea road this is obviously somebody from around the area yeah but why does he feel like he owns this whole town i don't know so or this road yeah the guard uh reported that the man was wearing a gray black and white bunny suit and he was chopping, like I said, he was chopping at the porch uh, post with an axe and said something about trespassing. And that if the guard um, got any closer to him, that he'd chop his head off. I'm hunting people. <laughs> hunting wabbits. Not wabbits. Uh, and of course, this is reported to the police, but with very little um, evidence. You know, the, the case was yeah closed. So there was nothing that came of this report or the first report because there's like nothing. Like when they showed the police the acts from the first one, the police were like, okay, this is like the, the 70s. So I don't think fingerprinting was a thing back then. It was a thing, but like even now, fingerprinting isn't exactly a really good science. That's true, too. Yeah, we've been. They we've... just look at a list of fingerprints and go, that one looks like it. It's really not a sound science even now, so I'm sure it was more guesswork back then, too. And, like, the guy was in a suit, so his hands could have been covered. This is true, too. No no white fur patches or nothing like that, either. Yeah. <laughs> so he might not have crime. left any DNA behind at all. No. So, that's the mystery. So, apparently, there is an underpass. Um that they call the Bunny Man Bridge, which okay. is around this area too. Hold up. Wait the a Bunny minute. Bunny Man Bridge. The Bunny Man Bridge. And is it near Guinea? Is that the situation? Um It's it's called the the Colchester Overpass. Okay. Um so this was built in nineteen oh six. Oh wow. Yeah. So this now this is part of this urban legend. Okay. Uh that I'm gonna read to you. So I'm just gonna say that. And apparently ghost hunters have been there to because of the urban legend. Well now I have to go watch the episode as soon as you leave. <laughs> I did I didn't say ghost adventures, I said ghost hunters. Who knows? They actually may have gone there. I didn't who fuck knows? You know, who knows what Baggins. Well, Ghost Hunters was the ones uh, from Taps, right? Yeah. Oh, I like them. They have a show now. It just doesn't it, have Grant. Is it a new show? Mm-hmm. I have to watch that then. They have one from the one, like, Chubbier Guy. Mm-hmm. That's called, like, Ghost Hunters Internet. Like, it's it's something with, like, they go around the country to talk to different people. But then the, the other guy, the bald one, mm-hmm. he has a new one, too. And it's him and some of the regular guys, and Grant's just, they're still friendly. He just wanted to devote time to his family. I mean, yeah, that he makes sense. He spent, like, 15-plus years doing the show. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's a lot. 
That is a lot. And, you know, with parasocial relationships being how they are, people think they know you because they watch you on TV. <laughs> so I'm sure he probably got a lot of creepy, creepy responses. Oh, I believe it. You know, so he probably just wanted to be there with his kids. So, yeah. So the other guys are still doing a show, though. Okay. Okay. Mm. So I could watch that one. I like them. They're nice people. Mm-hmm. They don't yell at ghosts. No. They don't, they don't say, what's up, demons? It's your boy. No, that's <laughs> Shane Day. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Testing fate. With Ryan Vergara. Look. <laughs> that's all I can say. That's all I can think of when I'm like, if I'm trying to talk to a, a ghost. If Listen, I... it's the best thing ever. A picture of him with his sunglasses on. What's up, demons? It's your boy. It's your boy. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of when I'm questioning demons. What's up, demons? It's your boy. <laughs> yeah, you out here questioning demons? <laughs> also, I gotta let you know, now that you have put... The Warrens episodes on YouTube. Mm-hmm. People have a lot to say about the Warrens. Oh my god! I just say I'm not saying nothing. Okay. Well, since we're not saying nothing, I'm going to get to this urban legend then. Yes, let's uh, hear it. It's a it's a nice long story. So, yeah, settle in. It's it's nice. I like to I like to add stories to my segments. It just I don't know. It just add some flavor. <laughs> <laughs> y'all can't see but I was over here dancing <laughs> so this is called the Clifton Bunny Man so the tale of the Bunny Man goes back many many years originally it didn't start until 1931 after many murders had already been committed for verification of the story you can visit the old Clifton Library located in Clifton North Virginia, Northern Virginia USA what I'm about to tell you is entirely true. Although I've never seen the Bunny Man, everyone in Clifton believes it to be true. Okay, but how many other people in Clifton have seen it? Mm. That matters. I mean, you know, lots of people have seen the Jersey Devil. This is true. So, a uh, quick reference to help you understand the story. The bridge has a one-lane car road passing underneath a dual railroad track above it within oh, okay within the woods i was like one lane that's yeah. a crappy bridge and you said oh because of the train tracks okay yeah we have one right over by my house too i know what you're talking about yeah <laughs> back in 1903 deep in clifton there used to be an asylum buried deep within the wilderness of clifton pretty soon after the civil war people began uh, people started inhabiting the area population wise around 300 or so it was a very small town nonetheless people didn't like the idea of having an asylum miles down the road so they all got together inside a petition petition uh, stating for the asylum to relocate elsewhere the petition passed and a new asylum was built which is now known as lorton prison Okay. A temporary facility until convicts are appropriately uh, sentenced. Oh, okay. We have something like that. I won't say the city because it's very close to us, Mm. but there's one not that far from us where they do all the testing and stuff here. Oh, okay. That's cool. In fall of 1904, the convicts were gathered and piled into the bus, which was to transport them to Lorton. Somehow, during the drive, 
not too far from where they left, the driver had swerved to avoid something and the bus had started to tip and soon was rolling into a terrible collision course. Most of the convicts were in injured, but had managed to escape the bus and had fled into the night woods. Of course, you know. Later on the next morning, a local police investigation had begun, and they had begun rounding up the escaped convicts. Hours turned into days, days into weeks, weeks into months. Everyone was recovered after four months, except for two people. Marcus A. Walster and Douglas J. Griff Griffin. Griffin. I'm going Griffin. It's not two F's, but it's one F. So. Oh, okay. <clears throat> During the search for both men, the police randomly found dead rabbits, eat half eaten, and dismembered, dismembered every now and then along their search. Okay. Finally, they were to find Marcus dead himself. By the Fairfax Station Bridge, now known as Bunny Man's Bridge. And in his hand, he held a man-made hammer knife-like tool made into a, made with a sharp rock and a pretty sturdy branch as a handle. So, like a makeshift axe. Okay. They thought nothing and, and cared not, to, not of how he died, only that he was apprehended. And no longer had to worry about him. So, okay. They had a name for Marcus, but later on they would realize they had named the wrong person the Bunny Man. Oh. Still searching for Douglas, they kept on finding half dead, half-eaten bunnies every so often while the search went on. Finally, they were to name Douglas the Bunny Man from then on. Three months passed on, passed by, and <clears throat> and the police had given up their search in April seventh on April seventeenth, nineteen o five. Everybody assumed the bunny man was dead by now, if not gone. So they went on with their small time lives. Come October, people started seeing dead bunnies reappearing out of the blue, and started to fear the unseen. Halloween night came around. And as usual, a bunch of kids had gone over to the bridge that night to drink and do whatever kids their age did in 1900s. <clears throat> Midnight came around within minutes, and most of the kids had left. Only three of them remained at the bridge. Right at midnight, supposedly, a bright light back from within the bridge, where the kids were less than a couple seconds um Wait, hold on. Where the kids were, in less than a couple of seconds later, they were all dead. Ooh. Throat slashed with the same type of tool that was found by the other escapee, Marcus. Not only were the throats slashed, but all of them, but all up and down their chests were, a long, sla were long slashes gutting them. To top it off, the bunny man hung both the guys from one of the bridge from one end of the bridge with a rope around their neck, hanging from the overpass with their legs dangling in front of the passing cars. This is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh the 
the the women were hung the same way on the other side of the bridge. This happened on Halloween in 1905. Uh, after that, they didn't see or hear anything from him for another year. Okay. Halloween 1906. Okay. He was approaching, and parents, as well as teens in Clifton, still remember the incident that had occurred one year ago at the bridge. His bridge. Bunny Man's bridge. That night, seven teens were left remaining right before midnight at the bridge. Thinking little of it, six remain inside the bridge, while one, uh, Adrian Hatala, had remained a good distance from the bridge, hoping to have enough time to escape if the same thing happened again. At midnight, she witnessed only this, a dim light walking the railroad track right before midnight, stopping right above the bridge at midnight, then disappearing at the same time as a bright flash was inside the bridge. She heard the deafening sounds of horrific screams coming from inside the bridge that lasted only seconds. Five seconds later, they were all hung from the edge of the bridge. Same style as the corpses a year later. A year earlier. God. Horrified, she ran home. She didn't tell of everything she saw. Just uh, spatter words here and there that some of the folk put together to come up with her story. No one understood it or even believed her. Hmm? I don't like it. (laughs) You don't like it? They charged her. They charged her with the murder. (gasps) No. And locked her up in an asylum of of Lorton in 1913. The same thing happened with nine teenagers this time. Halloween night again. Yeah. So next time I think it's her. So she's still locked up. Adrian is still locked up. They dropped her sentence, but it was too late. The insanity had finally conquered her. Even if she was released, she was too far gone to have a decent life. So she spent the remaining years in the asylum until she finally died in 1953 of shock. Well. <clears throat> yeah. No one knows exactly what exactly she died in shock from, but... Supposedly, she had died in her dreams, dreaming of that one dreaded night. Perhaps the bunny man had finally gotten to her. Mm. More murders were to take place, however. Although, after the murders in 1913, most people stayed clear of the bridge on Halloween. 1943 rolls around, and six teenagers go strolling out on Halloween night. A couple hours later, all of them dead. The same way as the others. Investigations took place, but as usual, nothing was discovered. 1976. The same situation occurs. This time, with only three people, though. The only other incident that occurred since then was in 1987. Twelve years ago from when this was written. Right. (laughs) Uh, Janet... Char- Charter, yes, um, <laughs> that's her name, Charter. Okay. Um, I don't know, I don't know, whatever. Was enjoying a night uh, with her four friends. Halloween night had finally come, and they had gone driving out to enjoy the night after invading the children's candy bags. So raiding the children's candy bags, whatever. <clears throat> they 
They had settled around 11 at the bridge, waiting for midnight to come. They didn't believe in the myth, so they decided to see it for themselves and were bound to be the only ones who actually withstood the bunny man. They had waited about 55 minutes or so, almost at midnight, until Janet started getting a little scared. They all had been pulling pranks on each other, you know, jumping out of the bushes and screaming. (laughs) So she was already a little worked up. Well, yeah. Mm. Midnight hits while she is completely freaked out. She's almost at the bridge when the lights get um, really bright inside the bridge. When that happens, her body is halfway outside of the bridge. She sees her skin start tearing at her chest. But nothing is piercing her skin. She manages finally to exit the bridge, completely horrified. She hits a hanging body and knocks herself out. Oh Lord! When she wakes, she finds out that she finds out her hair has turned white and that she has been bleeding. She was lucky that the cut had just started and wasn't very bad at all. She left and never returned to the bridge again. She has been sitting on a swinging bench on her balcony every morning, just staring in the direction towards the bridge a couple of miles down. To this day, you can still find her on that bench every morning. From then on, the story dwells untouched and unmoved. Halloween night, you will find a bunch of people hanging around the bridge, drinking, smoking up, but within minutes of midnight, everyone leaves. Nah. That's good. That's it's good. been like that for the past five years, and that I have visited, and that I have visited the bridge on Halloween night, even if it's not Halloween night, any night you go there, you feel the presence of death awaiting, awaiting the night sky of Halloween, yearning for more blood to be spilled in the name, in his name, Bunny Man. So basically hollow <laughs> look on your face <laughs> Bas- it got ridiculous <laughs> look if you're it in- became of all the things that didn't happen this didn't happen the most <laughs> so you gotta learn when to pull back on these stories people write online y'all. I know I know that's why no sleep is so good it'd be subtle yeah, but this one's oh, this is like like a ten year old story, I think. Um, seventies, right? Huh? Seventies, right? Yeah, but this no, I mean this this story was written like ten years ago. Someone wrote this on this. I don't know. It's in archives. So what do you call that? A um, like a live not a live journal. Oh gosh, a blog. What are those black pages? A uh, Zangas? The, no, no, before Zangas, long before that. What's before Zanga? <laughs> Zanga was like a little blog. This was, you can make your own page. Was Angel something? Oh, I think I remember you talking about. Okay. Probably on one of those sites. <sighs> so, I know Halloween's coming up, but please try to stay away from the Bunny Man's Bridge in Virginia. You don't want to see anybody else ending up on the news. Oh, my goodness. But that's what I got. <laughs> yeah. The urban legend from Virginia. I loved it. That was yeah you know what's funny um so there are a lot of you know of course you know urban legends there are a lot of popular uh cultures things Mm -hmm. um 
there's one I just saw. It was recent. Uh, it's it was like a very short one. It was Adult Swim. You know how they do the little the little bumps in the middle of their you know the shows when they go to commercial and stuff like that when they're coming back, like the black screen with their writing on it. Okay. Um, they did one about the Bunny Man, and they're like. So apparently in Virginia, there's a guy dressed in a bunny suit carrying an axe and threatening people. And then that's it. (laughs) That's funny. Oh, goodness. But there is a movie. um, It's called Bunny Man. But it's an exploitation style version of the story. Uh, it came out in 2011. Interesting. Uh, there's apparently in 2017, there's an Amazon original series called uh, Lore. Okay. Have you watched this? I don't think I've watched it. Um, but it uses, I guess, there's a Money Man episode in that. Um, there's a book, of course. Wait, is that a book? Yes, that's a book. Or, or a magazine whatever article it's called long live the bunny man (laughs) but yeah and um (laughs) that's what i got for that and it does like reference a donnie darko in here as and then it's funny that you mentioned the green the green man at the beginning because Mm -hmm. it references that too oh okay in a little bit but yeah that's what you got that's what we got. <laughs> well, if you listen all the way to the end, thank you so much. Do appreciate it. Thanks for supporting us on all of the things, the twitching and the tw- discords and the website TikToks. and TikTok and I'm trying to YouTube and <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what name what the hell you call TikTok. <laughs> like what is TikTok's name? I like I couldn't just say it. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much. Yes. Thank you guys. Bye.